Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Daf HaShavua. As we study Maseches Chagiga, Daf Chavav, we're getting very close to the end of this Masechta. We'll have some more information about our next Masechet coming up, maybe at the end of this week or next week, but we still have another week to go. I want to thank Binyamin Pfeiffer, our rabbinic intern, for a phenomenal shiur in the last two weeks. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I had an opportunity this past Shabbos to catch up with Maseches Chagiga, I was also very touched earlier this week to hear from one of the participants, made a siyum on Masechus Chagiga, jumped ahead a little bit, Lila Nishmas' mother, who I knew, phenomenal woman, and Baruch Hashem, to hear from so many of you that you're keeping up the pace of learning. I know it's very challenging. The last parak has been very challenging on top of everything else. So call a kavod. I want to dedicate at least the first part of the year today to Yerushalayim, to Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer is this week, Yom Yerushalayim next week. And to appreciate, if you take a step back from some of the details of Tumat Tahara that we're going to come back to, of just the focus on Yerushalayim, both of the sanctity of the city as well as the beauty of the city, and of course, keeping people together and unified. You know, the Gemara here gives certain dispensations, which brings us to the city of Modi'in, whether it's actually the city of Modi'in today, that's a booming city in Eretz Yisrael, or close to it, where the Hashemunayim had many of their battles. But because of a certain allowance, really generated by the fact that they didn't want there to be pottery making in Yerushalayim that would mess up the walls, that would not be good for the environment of Yerushalayim, so there's special dispensations that were generated. And it reminded me of a story that they tell, I don't usually tell stories on Dafa Shavuot, but there's a beautiful story told of a simple Jew who is a street cleaner in Yerushalayim. We have a lot of details of the story. I think I originally saw the story in a Hanukkah Teller book about Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach. And the bottom line of the story is that this great man, whose name was Rabbi Sachar, was given special recognition by Rabbi Shlomo Zalman in the Beis HaKnesses Hagra, which is the beautiful neighborhood of Shari Chesed, where Rabbi Shlomo Zalman davened. And the special attention that was given to him by Rabbi Shlomo Zalman was because he was so concerned, this guy Rabbi Sachar, about keeping the streets of Yerushalayim clean. That was his job. He was a street cleaner. And Rabbi Shlomo Zalman would not allow a minion to start until Rabbi, until Rabbi Sacher showed up. And one time they were waiting for him, and someone said, why do you have to wait? And Rabbi Shlomo Zalman said, don't you understand? Rabbi Sacher may just be a street cleaner, but he cleans the streets, L'Shem Shemayim, for the sake of heaven. Just incredible. The greatest, one of the greatest halachic authorities of our generation added at the end, I only wish that I had the same L'Shem Shemayim in my job that he has in his. So something to keep in mind when you see the concern about the cleanliness of Yerushalayim, the sanctity, the Kedusha. Now, speaking about Yerushalayim, I had a chance on Shabbos to look at the Masifta Gemara. I don't usually have a chance to look at the Masifta. The Masifta is a incredible, huge collection of Gemaras. On most Masechtos, you have several Gemaras. goes through every line of the Gemara, explains it, explains Rashi, Tosfos, there's a section in the back, Yalkut Biurim, expands on some of the issues that come up on every uh, piece of the Gemara. And then in the very back, 
And that's where I was zooming in this Shabbos, using, not zoom, but using my eyes of Haliba de Hilchasa, Haliba de Hilchasa section. So they raised a question relating to Svirasa Omer. Yesterday I was reading about the Omer in the Parsha, of course. This week is Lagba Omer, so how could I skip this? We know a principle, it's actually expanded upon in the Gemara Meseches Yuvamas of Lotus Godotu. The Pasuk tells us, relating to Avelos and Devar and Perkudal and Pasuk Aleph, that we're not allowed to make agudos agudos. We're not allowed to, within a certain same community, have different practices of halacha in the same area. And the broader question that I want to discuss very briefly today is how does this apply to minhagim? So this is addressed relating to the question of Svirasa Omer. We know that the different practices of Svirasa Omer, of the, not Svirasa Omer as far as the Nihuge Avelus or the quasi Avelus of morning of this time of year. Do you go from the beginning to Rosh Chodesh? Do you go from Rosh Chodesh until Shavuos or close to Shavuos? So the Ramah discusses in Arachayim Simitav Tzadi Gimel, Sif Gimel, B'davar Chiluke HaMenhagim Sh'yesha Nohagim Isra Tzbayas B'mei Svirasa Omer, you know, you come up today and they're going to be different practices. Do you shave on Lagba Omer? Do you go to the 34th? And then the whole question of do you follow the first practice or the second practice? And there was even Narizal who followed a view of the entire Omer. You would observe practices of Avela. So the discussion that is found, especially in Achron, in the Maginav Ram, the Prichadash, is there an issue of lotus go to do when it comes to minhagim or only when it comes to halachos? And Sfiras Omer is really more, these new hukah avelos are more in the area of minhagim. So that's a big discussion. And you should know, just somewhat as an aside, that there are certain practices in Yerushalayim that everyone practices. No one's going to put on tefillin in Yerushalayim. You know, in, er- in America, Ramosha pointed out, even in the same shul, you could have some people wearing tefillin, not wearing tefillin. You don't have a minhag hamakam, you don't have minhag America, or maybe minhag America, it's a melting pot, different practices. Maybe in Hasidic communities, it's different where the minhagim are so strong. But if you go to Yerushalayim, for example, and there's no Sefer Torah in the room, when you're saying Tachman, so many of us here would have the practice not to put our hands heads down. In Yerushalayim, everyone puts their heads down. That's the Minog Yerushalayim. With other Minhagim, there are differences between the Ashkenazim, between the Sephardim, even within the Sephardic community. So the Chassam Sofer, and this is what's brought down in the Aliba de Hilchasa section, he, and this is coming back to Al Gemara, and he writes this on his Gilyanus on the Shulchan Aruch. He says that Maybe there's a discussion about whether minhagim apply when it comes to lotus godadu, right? Do you apply lotus godadu minhagim? But in Yerushalayim, Ira Kodesh, especially at the time that everyone comes together for the chagim, there has to be one practice. And then you'd have to find which minhagim this applies to. So I'm going to keep it now in a general sense. And the source he brings is from this Gemara, how even the Amaya Ratzim are, are uh, believed on Shruma, and it all goes back to this idea of Ir Shechur Baliyachtov. Shekibot Zeshab Yerushalayim Asam Kulam Chaverim. That in Yerushalayim, everyone is Chaverim, Veloha Yakakal Kibbutz. Not everyone's going to do their practice from where they're coming, but when they come into Yerushalayim, 
everyone is considered to be a Yerushalmi. When this will apply, when it won't apply, you have to look at every single case, but the concept of Yerushalayim being a place that not only has to be protected, that was the first discussion we were having as far as its cleanliness, as far as its aesthetics, but where we also have to keep unity or put special emphasis on unity is something that should be discussed. This is also brought in the Chuvos of the Chassam Sofer, Likutim Simon Aleph the Simon Pei Vav, if you're interested in more details. The second issue that I want to discuss is a general principle that we find throughout Shas. Ain Gozrin Gezeira, Alatzibor, Elohim Kain Robatzibor, Yecholon Lamod Bo. That when the Bezin sits down and they see an issue, they will not enact a Gezeira if they evaluate that the Rov of the Tzibor can't handle it. It happens to be that this is one of the issues slogans that's been thrown out uh, during the coronavirus with some of the rules that have been imposed on the community. It's a legal question. You hear this in American law. People aren't going to stay inside. Some of the rabbis have been challenged with this. Not going to really apply it. Sometimes people have more resilience and the ability to comply much more than others imagine. This is discussed in the Rambam. The Rambam in Hilchas Mamrim and the second parak talks about the power of a Gezeras Bezdin and how it can't really be undermined by another Bezdin. Then the Rambam starts talking about where there is more flexibility, both in an enactment or resistance to enactment, isn't something that the seaboard can't stand, can't uh, withstand. That's in fifth parak. That's in the second parak, Halacha Hey. And then the Rambam goes on to discuss how. Ultimately, if it is imposed on the tzibor and they can't handle it, then it is nullified almost ipso facto. So without getting through all the technical details, that introduction should help explaining what's happening in our Gemara. Rashi spells this out explicitly on Daf Chaf Hei Amid Beis, but it continues to really be one of the major underlying points of what's happening on Daf Chavav. The application, at least we got into it here, was once the rabbis realized that if all of the items that were being used would be subject to Ama Aretz Tumah, then the majority of the people wouldn't comply with the Gezeira because the typical person is not going to manage without these small utensils. This connects to the first part we discussed of which utensils could be produced in Yerushalayim and which ones couldn't. So therefore, they would be able to take these utensils from Odeon into Yerushalayim and they would serve as the carrying source for the food of the Kachim, maybe even for some other foods. I wanted to give Halacha a couple of applications of where this applies. Other examples of where we say Halacha that a, a gezerah is not imposed on the tzibor, even though it sounds on the surface it would be inherently the correct thing, but because of the anticipation or the bezdin evaluating people's inability to withstand such a gezerah. There is another one, before we really get into Allah Lamaisa that relates to Eretz Yisrael, and have to see how this plays out today in Eretz Yisrael. There's a whole issue it's raised in the Gemara and Avodah Zarah about raising animals. 
in Eretz Yisrael and the concern that the animals would end up eating the, the property and eating the fields. And there's a certain compromise that's made that a behemoth daka that could be imported from outside, we call that a livestock or at least sheep, not big animals, a behemoth gasa, that could be imported, so therefore couldn't be raised in Eretz Yisrael. But a behemoth gasa that people aren't going to schlep in from outside, that um, the tzibur wouldn't listen to, and therefore it could be raised. I want to go through all the details of that halacha, but it is a very fascinating discussion of Masechus The one I wanted to focus on, which is halacha lamasa, is a very well-known Gemara. And this is a Gemara, it's a Bryson Baba Basra, Samach Amit Beis, Tosefta, at the end of Masechus Sota. And the Gemara talks about after the Chorban Abayas, after the destruction of the second base on Migdash, there was a question of to what extent do we have to impose Avelis on the community. Gemara goes through all these possibilities where if the, if the real pain of the Chorban would be real as it should be and would be played out in real world, then we wouldn't be able to eat meat we wouldn't be able to have uh, any form of music. Music still today is a question to what extent we allow it. We're not just talking about the sphera, but in general. And the Gemara comes up in its conclusion with really, in theory, none of this should be allowed or many things should not be allowed, but Ain goes in Gezeira. We're not going to impose a Gezeira on people that they wouldn't be able to withstand. And therefore we more or less establish that there should be what I call a new normal after the Chorban. We have certain signs of Zechel Chorban. We're going to put ashes on top of a chasan, but more or less, life is going to continue. The takeaway with the Gemara says, we're, not, we're going to allow people to build homes, but they'll have to leave a part of the home unfinished. That's the Alma Alama, and we know those halachas are brought down, halach lamasa, in the Shulchan Aruch. So this is a uh, far cry from what they were discussing in our Gemara, but it's the same issue, a certain evaluation that has to be made up about how do people expect to live normal lives, whether it's what they use when they go to shop in stores, and carrying things comes to the market as far as which animals could be raised, and daily life, whether it's building homes, having celebrations, how we don't forget the past, but we make sure to have the capacity to function as a community in the present. There's a lot more to say, but whenever you see this concept of Ein Gozrin Gezeira, you should realize it's part of a much bigger discussion. Now, again, it can't be used as a slogan to excuse a failure to protect people from safety, pikuach nefashos. Again, that's why today we're being machmir on pikuach nefashos. That's our misora. There are only three areas where a person gives up their life. And when it comes to the health or safety, as we've seen the position of Rav Shechter, and we know the stories of Rav Chaim Salavechik, we are so strict, even for a svek sveka of pikuach nefashos. And we're not going to say, Enkos Rinkazera al Atzibor, but in this situation, 
Again, every case is different. Every family needs to be analyzed, every individual. But general principles we keep in mind, and this is a principle that very much plays a role in different areas of halachic process, halachic evaluation and determination. I wanted to end the share today with really what I think is a fascinating insight from the Gemara. It's a halachic insight, a hashkafic insight. The Gemara here is discussing about a ganiv. The Mishnah talks about a ganiv who goes into a house. And then we have to do tracking to figure out what did he touch. This is tracing to figure out what is considered to be tame or not. Now the Gemara ends up qualifying his believability because at the end of the day he's still an Amaaretz. But the Mishnah, and then as explained by the Gemara, says that since this is an individual who in this case ends up doing tshuva, returns the lost item, and it seems to be about tshuva in general, then we're going to believe him. The Lashon of Rashi is Umachmas Chuva Hakziram because he fulfilled the requirement of the Torah of Aheshavas Hakzela to return what was stolen, then Hilkach Lo Meshakri. Therefore, he's not going to lie. We're going to believe what he touched and what he didn't touch because of the fact that he was a Baal Chuva in returning it. Now, the Meiri qualifies this by saying, based on a Rambam that we're about to see, that it has to be a situation where he returned it out of his own will, not out of coercion, which raises some fascinating questions that if you do the right thing, even if it's not properly motivated, you would still have the status of being a Baal tshuva. But what I found even more interesting was the Rambam. When the Rambam discusses this halacha, in Metame Mishka V'Moshev, Perak Yudbeis, Halacha Yudbeis, he says, Avalim Amruhin Me'atzman, that's where the Miri gets that from, Nich Nasnu, Avalo Naganu Nemanim, Shapesh Asahu Apesh Hitir. Because the same mouth that prohibited it is the same mouth that allows it. This broad concept of Hapesh Asahu Apesh Hitir, it's broad because it's found in a number of places in Shas, is typically identified in Hilchas Ishus. So, for example, the Rambam in Mesechus Ksubis, the, the mission of Mesechus Ksubis, Bays, Bays, and this is brought down a number of places. One example will give you a Rambam in Yerushin, Yud Bays, Halacha Aleph, Rambam Hilchus Yisurabia, Yud Gimel, Yud, is discussing status. A woman comes and she says, Ishus Ishayisi, I was an Ish. That's the Pesha Asa. She didn't have to tell us she was an Ish. Therefore, if she says Grushani, we believe her. The case in Isurabia is a similar case. It actually has some more nuances to it, so I'm not going to spell it out. But what I found interesting was that the Rambam is saying the same thing here. Not in the realm of Ishus, but also in the realm of Tumma Tahara. There is another place where the Ram discusses this in Hilchas Maser, but just going back to the concept of being a Baal is the trustworthiness of a Baal It's not like Umikanu Lahaba. From this point and on, we believe this person, but we believe how this person is willing to reflect on their past. The fact that they put themselves through a situation of change, that's the application over here, we're going to trust them of being honest about their past. It says a lot about changes that are made 
and how we're able to give testimony and be trusted about our past. And it's a rigorous process that in many ways we should all go through in different areas of life. We should have a great week. We'll get together, Bezrat Hashem, next week for the conclusion of Mesech Chagiga. What a journey it has been.